2: Welcome to the Explaining History podcast and today I'm going to talk about Nazi propaganda uh, and the Reich Ministry of Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda uh, run by Joseph Goebbels. Now the reason why I want to talk about this today is because it's one of those aspects of the study of the Third Reich that gets covered um, kind of endlessly in school history um, or school history lessons uh, but is is highly mythologized and misunderstood. Um, there are huge generalizations about it. And also there are huge generalizations about the reach and the efficacy um, and the power of, of Nazi propaganda. The idea that um, Nazi propaganda had this quality of kind of being able to, to brainwash when actually. The German population was far more selective with its a kind of interaction with films and posters and public art and all these kinds of things. Much as you know, people now find themselves kind of negotiating and interacting with advertising and political propaganda of all sorts. So the relationship that Germans had with Nazi propaganda uh, was quite nuanced. One of the reasons why we get this um, this view of Nazi propaganda and indoctrination is because at the time the likes of Goebbels believed that it was, uh, you know, believed it, it was deeply indoctrinating, um, and the extent to which it shifts popular attitudes is is much much less uh, certain and clearer, and much more ambiguous. Anyway, today we're reading from Noakes and Pridham's uh, Nazism, a Documentary Reader, Volume 2. Now, if you were studying um, Nazi Germany uh, at any level, probably from A-level upwards, Noakes and Pridham, they wrote a series of four books um, from 1933 to 1945, and they're they're pretty indispensable. They are absolutely superb guides, uh, and they're well worth getting, and they're really, really worthwhile getting if you're teaching as well. So, notes and Pridham write, Goebbels had long seen his own Nazi party Reich propaganda directorate formed in 1930 as the model for a future Reich propaganda ministry, and Hitler himself had already referred to the need for such a ministry in negotiations over Nazi participation in government during 1932. After the election of the fifth of March 1933, cabinet, uh, the cabinet was quickly pressured into approving a decree establishing a Reich Ministry of Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda, which came into law on the 13th of March and defined the task of the new ministry as the spreading of enlightenment and propaganda within the population concerning the policy of the Reich government and the national reconstruction of the German fatherland. Goebbels, the new minister, was not particularly happy for psychological reasons with the use of the term propaganda and its t- uh, in the title, and in May 1934, tried to have it replaced by the word culture. However, the Reich Minister of Education and Science objected to this, and in any case, Hitler insisted the retention of the word uh, insisted on the retention of the word propaganda. Soon after his appointment, Goebbels outlined his view of the role of the new ministry at his first press conference on the 15th of March 1933, and it is to that press conference we shall turn in a moment. But coming back to this question of the word culture, um, Goebbels was very keen on the idea of there being some kind of cultural, uh, existential revolution in Germany following the uh, appointment of Hitler in January 1933. He said, was the effect of that, the uh, G- Nazi revolution must be a total revolution. There can be no bystanders. There can be no people who reluctantly accept it. There must be full and complete enthusiasm from across the population. And that Nazism will reach down into every question, every area of life and every question about life, the purpose of life. And the purpose of life in Germany would be um, the purpose of pursuing racial destiny. Uh, That um, social relations would be defined by race and nothing else. Uh, And that um, the... uh, the the revolution that the Nazis were seeking to bring about was a kind of an existential but also kind of like a biological revolution. Of course all these ideas are ridiculous and that there is uh, no kind of racial or biological uh, framework upon which one can realistically reshape society. But the fact that ideas are absurd um, doesn't really matter at a moment of uh, in, intense kind of rupture where uh, one um, system uh, of notionally kind of uh, uh, liberal internationalism has been uh, shattered worldwide and overthrown in Germany and is being replaced by a kind of a, uh, an extremist right-wing putsch. So, to the press conference. This is on the 15th of March, 1933. I see in the setting up of the new Ministry of Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda by the government a revolutionary act insofar as the new government is no, um, no longer intends to leave the people to their own devices. The government is in the truest sense of the word a people's government. It arose out of the people and will always execute the will of the people. I reject most passionately the idea this government stands for reactionary aims, that we are reactionaries. We want to give the people their due, though admittedly in another form than occurred under parliamentary democracy. So this idea that Goebbels is putting forward, that firstly, the government will not leave the people to their own devices, the idea that people coming up with their own ideas and their own viewpoints on life is not what a government should tolerate or what a government should allow, and that the role of government really is to shape thought. This was obviously a a profoundly anti-democratic, a profoundly anti-individualist notion. But one which had actually significant traction, not just in Germany, but in other European states uh, at the time. uh, And that the uh, government had a role in shaping popular thought. In more democratic countries, there was a, a, a similar sentiment. That uh, new means of mass communication should help guide popular thought uh, within certain acceptable parameters, and with um, the the kind of the uh, ideological and social threats of the Russian Revolution and the rise of Bolshevism, uh, the idea that it was it was a, a positive thing to shape public thoughts away from kind of more dangerous concepts to the social order. Uh, was was definitely prevalent, not just in Nazi Germany. Um, the idea that the government uh, had risen from the people's will, well, it hadn't risen from a majority of the, the people's will, and at no point does Hitler win uh, an overall majority in any election in, in Germany. Um, but, of course, Nazism containing elements of uh, extreme right-wing populism always looks to an imagined popular mandate, an imagined um idea of um simply being the expression of what is a legitimate uh, voice of the people anyway. Um and that um uh, the idea also that Goebbels puts forward and this is partly from the kind of the uh this sort is of the political um heritage of uh, Goebbels that had been um far more inclined in uh, before he discovered the Nazis uh, towards um, uh, Soviet-style socialism um, and the idea of, of revolutions as opposed to kind of extreme reactionary conservatism. Um, and he had uh, simply taken the kind of the radical energy of the revolutionary left and had tried to apply that um, to the right. Um, and that he re- so he rejects this idea of Nazism being, being reactionary. Uh, By the time, by the way, by the time 1933 comes around, he has long since abandoned any uh, adherence to anything on the the left at all um, and has embraced fascism wholeheartedly. Um, He goes on to say, In the newly established Ministry of Popular Enlightenment and Propaganda, I envisage the link between regime and people, the living contact between the national government as the expression of the people's will, and the people themselves. In the past few weeks we have seen an increased coordination between Reich policy and the policy of the states and in the same way I view the first task of the ministry as being to uh, establish coordination between the government and the whole people. So that was a a fascinating uh, look into Nazi thinking about um, the role of propaganda is coordinating the whole people and is creating this link, this dialogue between the regime, which is the expression of the people, and the people themselves. Is is you know, in Goebbels' view, uh, the 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 kind of um, the regime and the uh, people having a some sort of dialogue. The reality, of course, is it's nothing of the sort. It is a uh, anti-democratic regime looking to influence public thought to its own ends. Um, they, the difficulty that um, Goebbels faces is that propaganda does not do, and people do not react towards propaganda in the way that he thinks. Um, the, the very simplistic ideas that were prevalent at the start of the 20th century on the shaping of the public mind, you can look at all this in kind of understanding modern advertising and um, the the likes of Edward Bernays and stuff like that, so who came up with the the term uh, propaganda, um, was that individuals would, uh, if given the right message in the right way, uh, accept the message wholeheartedly, and fundamentally change their thoughts and feelings and beliefs, um, and the there are various and this is more kind of a media studies conversation. Various kind of reception models of um, propaganda, where uh, there is the the assumption, uh, and now utterly kind of abandoned this assumption that we we simply kind of have like almost information injected into us. With there, I think it was Marshall McLuhan talked about there being like a hypodermic syringe. Um, if it's not Marshall McLuhan, by the way, please do write in and correct, because a uh, I, I, long time since I taught media studies. Anyway, it's now generally seen that um, people react towards political propaganda, uh, corporate propaganda, you know, advertising, in very selective ways. There are ideas people already believe in that it's possible to reinforce, and things that people don't believe in that they will often reject. Or that won't sit well with them, or that will take a long time to persuade them of some of of a, of a new kind of idea. Uh, things that people filter out, things that people accept that might be true, but they don't like very much, or reject but choose to remain quiet about. And what Hitler had wanted was this existential change in the German people, something that's perhaps even almost completely impossible to bring about, where. Uh, and um, people, uh, the German people, as one would embrace new racial ideas um, as the kind of the core tenet of, of their entire being. And of course, most people's uh, tenet, mo- most people's sort of uh, deepest thoughts uh, relate to profoundly individualistic impulses. You know, my uh, economic needs, my social needs, my cultural needs. Um, all all these kinds of things. Um, Hitler and Goebbels believed it was possible to um, transcend or to to break down individualism itself. And instead of creating a socialist collectivism, a class-based collectivism, creating a racial collectivism itself, uh, asking uh, people to uh, sacrifice whatever it took for the greatness of the Racial community for the greatness of uh, the kind of the, the Aryan gene pool. So, here we're going to hear just briefly um, about radio um, and the fact that even uh, before the um, uh, appointment of Hitler in January 1933, radio had been a massively important factor in the, the, the Nazi propaganda uh, machine. Um, Hitler believed that the spoken word was much more effective than the written one um, and that people would by and large listen to speeches more than they would read them. Um, the um, radio was uh, uh, one of the kind of the totems of modernity in the 1930s, this incredible way of channeling information into private spaces that had never really been possible before so that radio could be uh, um, put into uh, private homes and you could reach people in a place uh, politically that you'd never gone to uh, before. So Hitler um, managed to mobilize um, the uh, Nazi Reich Ministry of the Interior um, to instruct the Reich Radio Commissioner uh, and the state radio commissioners to broadcast the torchlight procession that was held on the 30th of January 1933 to celebrate the uh, the new Nazi government uh, coming to power. And that, I suppose, was the, the kind of the, the, the first major use of state power and radio together in order to propagate Nazism. Um, During this event, the Bavarian radio station interrupted the broadcast when it became apparent that the celebration was actually being used for party political purposes. There was a a brief moment uh, of of resistance very quickly to to be overcome. Um, And it was this incident that showed um, a major problem that faced Goebbels, which in his attempt to concentrate power uh, of the power of radio into simply his hands. Um, And that was the fact that the radio had a federal structure um, and that um, the Reich um, was uh, only limited to control um, through the Reich Radio Commissioner. And this simply, the Reich Radio Commissioner was allowed to uh, control radio broadcasts that related to central government ministries um, and not over things that uh, happened in places like Bavaria or the way in which news was broadcast in places like um, Bavaria. So the Reich Ministry of Propaganda and Public Enlightenment would be the tool with which uh, radio could be coordinated. Um, Radio would transition out of the hands of the uh, Ministry of the Interior and into the Reich Propaganda Ministry, um, which would therefore have um, much more kind of coordinating uh, power. This was um, not uh, favoured by Goering, who was the Prussian Ministry of the Interior, um, as well as his various other kind of uh, portfolio jobs. Um, and, and no Nazi particularly wished to lose control over uh, any useful tool for extending their own personal power as well, of which kind of radio censorship was one. Um, finally, uh, from April the 1st, 1934, German radio was unified into the Reich Radio Company, and this um, meant that previous radio stations were nearly, were, were just branches of the Reich Radio Company, and they were known as Reich Radio Stations, and the Reich Radio Company um, became a subordinated to Department 3 of the Propaganda Ministry, which covered broadcasting. Um, The, uh, in practice, the key uh, figure in German radio was the Reich Director of Broadcasting, uh, a man by the name of Eugen Hadamovsky, um, who was appointed head of the Reich Radio Company on the 8th of July, 1933. And with centralisation, obviously, came purges. Um, A great number of uh, experienced radio, uh, radio personnel Uh, lost their jobs, the directors of um, the Reich Radio Company and the controllers of state radio stations uh, were purged and there were, in the first six months of 1933, 270 uh, dismissals uh, from broadcasting staff across Germany. This um, amounted to 13% of the total broadcasting staff across Germany Um, There was a, um, this kind of mirrors the civil service purge that happened at the same time, but it's a a bigger percentage. On the 25th of March, 1933, Goebbels spoke directly to the controllers of German radio, uh, and he said, we make no bones about the fact that the radio belongs to us and to no one else, and we will place the radio in the service of our ideology and no other ideology will find expression here. The radio must subordinate itself to the goals which the government of the National Revolution has set itself. The government will give the necessary instructions. I consider radio to be the most modern and the most crucial instrument that exists for influencing the masses. I also believe, one should not say that out loud, that radio will in the end replace the press. So Goebbels was able to be quite explicit um, a lot of the time uh, about the ideological um, and propagandist purposes that he wished to subject um, uh, the mass media. Later propagandists have been more canny, realising that the best propaganda is the one that people don't really realise as being explicitly political, um, the best propaganda being hidden. He goes on to say, first principle... At all costs, avoid being boring. I put that before everything. So do not think that you have the task of creating the correct attitudes, of indulging in patriotism, of blasting out military music and declaiming patriotic verse. No, that is not what this new orientation is all about. Rather, you must help to bring forth a nationalist art and culture which is truly appropriate to the pace of modern life and the mood of the times. The correct attitudes must be conveyed but that does not mean they must be boring. And simply because you have the task of taking part in this national enterprise, you do not have carte blanche to be boring. You must use your imagination, an imagination which is based on sure foundations and which employs all means and methods to bring to the ears of the masses the new attitude in a way which is modern and up to date, interesting and appealing, interesting, instructive, but not schoolmasterish. Radio must never go down with the proverbial disease. The intention is to clear. The intention is clear, and it puts you off. So, one of the things that Goebbels learned later on, uh, again about cinema, was that uh, films such as Triumph of the Will by Lenny Riefenstahl, whilst these were beloved of Hitler. And Hitler really enjoyed seeing uh, the Nuremberg rallies and uh, marching bands and all that sort of stuff. The audiences were generally turned off by it. They found it tedious. Much as um, Goebbels understood about radio, that most of the time, most people wished to be entertained. And that it was possible to integrate entertainment and a political or ideological message in one go. And that was the key to uh, engage, uh, causing or bringing about a a spirit of engagement with a mass audience. Um, He understood this about radio right away. It actually took the Nazis quite a while to understand that um, openly bombastic propaganda films and also speeches by the Fuhrer were not interesting to the majority of the population. Um, By the mid-1930s, many Germans had begun to sort of mentally, if not actually, tune out Hitler's speeches uh, and f- try to find ways to, um, to avoid them, which has little to do with um, Hitler's oratory and more to do with the fact that most people, at most times, do not wish to engage with um, political, uh, um, political broadcasting. Um, radio uh, was uh, placed uh, strategically in uh, public places, and there were um, announcements when the Führer would be uh, would be speaking. Um, in the local paper, for example, in, in Neue Eisenberg, um near Frankfurt, on the 16th of March, there was an advert saying, Attention, the Führer is speaking on the radio. On Wednesday, the 21st of March, the Führer is speaking on all German stations from 11 to 11.50 a.m., According to a regulation of the Gao headquarters, the district party headquarters has ordered that all factory owners, department stores, offices, shops, pubs, and blocks of flats put up loudspeakers an hour before the broadcast of the Fuhrer's speech, so that the whole workforce and all national comrades can participate fully in the broadcast. The district headquarters expects this to be obeyed without exception, so that the Fuhrer's wish to speak to the people can be implemented, and. It was um, more complicated to speak to the people than Hitler had perhaps envisaged. What we'll do next time is we'll look at how the Nazis attempted to use the newspapers to carry their message as well, again, with differing degrees of success. Anyway, I hope you found this useful, and I'll catch you on the next Explaining History podcast. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye.